it's been a while since you put me on the shelf. I know you've been distracted by somebody else. It's been a while, but that's all right, you see. And I'll be right here waiting when you want to play again with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Cult of the Old. I'm Ian McAllister, and I'm here as ever with my fellow hosts, Nate Owens and Matt Thrower. How are you doing, gents? Doing well, Ian. It occurs to me that this is a very appropriate game for Cult of the Old, but I don't want to, uh, I, I certainly don't want to get ahead of us. Spoilers. Potential spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, I, wonder, I wonder what, you know, I'm sure the viewers or listeners won't have uh, checked out what we're doing in advance and just listening to this right. at random. Yeah, it, it doesn't be a fun, a fun <laughs> thematic surprise. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it won't, definitely won't be in the title of the podcast or anything. <laughs> well, what do we do here at Cult the Old? Well, each episode, I and my fellow hosts are going to dive into the tabletop gaming past. We're going to turn back the release schedule at least 10 years to look at games that were setting at Tables Ablaze in the dim and distant past of a whole decade ago. Over the course of this season, the games we're going to cover will still be available to play, either because they become evergreen titles, that is, they're always available at retail, or they're accessible through illegal digital means like Board Game Arena. Games can capture a moment in time when they release, and they occupy such a dominant position that many try to copy their successes. They produce countless expansions and spin-offs. Where other games would sink without trace, these games stand atop the deluge, a colossus amongst the gaming community, a garden of delights amongst the desert of releases. We are, of course, talking about the game when it comes to talking about drafting, Seven Wonders. That was some real purple prose there, Ian. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I tried to think of more that revolved around Wonders and I, my brain stopped working at some point. <laughs> You're still wondering about it. I'm still wondering about it, yeah, and will be for some time. Who wants to give us a one-minute breakdown of what Seven Wonders is all about? I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'm, I'm not looking forward to this, um, but but I will I will attempt um, to do my one-minute breakdown of Seven Wonders. I feel very on the spot doing these, but it's about time I tackled one. So Seven Wonders is a game uh, where you are building an ancient civilization. You start the game with a randomly given wonder, uh, which has three stages to it, and then you get a hand of cards. Each turn you choose one of those cards and you decide whether you're going to add it to your tableau or use it to build the stage of wonder or trade it in for cash. And then you pass the remainder on to your neighbour and you get a load in from them. Uh, and what you're trying to do when you're building civilization is you're trying to get early buildings to give you resources and then later on compete in military and science and, and sort of like uh, civic buildings for victory points. Um, and then at the end, you tally up all the points and see who wins. Awesome. It's pretty good. 15 seconds to go. Seven Wonders was originally released in 2010. Designer was Antoine Bowser, and it was originally published by Repost Productions, but has had many different variations over the years published by many companies. The artists were Dimitri Chapu, Miguel Coimbra, Etienne Hebinger, and Cyril Nouvelle. Apologies if I mispronounced any of those names. Big awards-wise, it won Game of the Year as Dior in 2011, Golden Geek Best Family Card Game in 2011, and the Kennerspiel des Jahres in 2011 as well. It has won multiple awards worldwide during the 2011-2012 period as well. I think it maybe scooped most of the board gaming awards worldwide by the looks of the BGG page. Over the years, it's had a load of expansions as well. Leaders in 2011, Cities in 2012, Babel in 2014, Armada in 2018. And it's had a spin-off two-player game called Duel, which launched in 2015, which it itself has had a couple of expansions in Agora and Pantheon. Most recently, it's had Seven Wonders Architect, a new sort of family-friendly version of the game, and then a brand new edition in 2020 with a new expansion called Edifice coming out in 2023, which is the year of recording. So how did we first come across uh, Seven Wonders Chaps? For myself, as I mentioned in other casts, it's one of those games I picked up because of the high player count, because I, I frequently cater to large player groups. And I have a distinct memory of playing it for the first time on a ferry going across to Ireland to my grand's funeral. I don't know why I had it on me at the time. Uh, but yeah, playing it with, with my now wife and, and my parents on the way over. And I think I played it a few times in my local group, but I never never really hit hit with us but yeah i originally picked up just because large player count and i was catering to that number of people and it was a fairly good looking game how about yourselves 
I feel that the uh, the circumstances under which you played it first may have coloured your opinions of the game. I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> Perhaps. For me personally, um, I I played it by accident. I walked into a, a con, uh, a small convention, um, and I don't know what year this was. Going, it can't be that long after it was released. Um, and I was late, and there was only one game with a seat left, which was which was Seven Wonders. Uh, and me being there took it to the full seven players. And uh, the game was explained to me. I was in time for the rules explanation just about. Uh, and I played the game against a number of people who played it before, and I won. Um, and then we played it again, and I won again, even though I'd never played the game before. Um, and it made me slightly suspicious of the game. Uh, the ease with which <laughs> I beat uh, uh, these, this group of uh, assembled experts. Um, and I have not touched it again until we came here to play uh, for this podcast. Don't, don't put yourself down, Matt. You, you, you can win games. It's okay. It's all right. I beat you at one of the games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is fair. That is totally true. <laughs> Oh my! I, you know, I I think I played this at a game night. It wasn't long after its release. I think it might have been because it came out at Essen in 2010. I think I played it by the end of the year, which means I had a friend of mine who picked it up very early on. So it was pretty early in its hype cycle, and uh, it was really before it had blown up and became the new hotness. I I remember at the time feeling like it was uh, pretty good, and I liked it quite a bit uh, in the moment. I, I cooled on it as as we went on. What I remember most about that particular copy that I played is the game went out of print and was we're going to talk about how popular it was. And I had a friend of mine who uh, was able to trade it away for a complete set of Memoir 44 plus expansions because someone was wow. just that desperate to get a copy of Seven Wonders. That is a good um, trade. Isn't the campaign book? I don't think it had the campaign book. But it was Still. like all the different, it was all the different, like the armies. I had like the Russian army and the Japanese army. It had the the winter board. It might have even had a second set to play the Overlord version. Wow. It was it was like $250 worth at least of stuff that was traded for one game of Seven Wonders. So that's what I remember most about those early days of Seven Wonders is just how much people wanted it. Wow. This is the first time since we've been recording this podcast, that I've actually wished we could be on video so you could have seen Ian and mine faces when, when they <laughs> said that. That is impressive. I mean, even trading like the Core 7 Wonders for the Core MMR44 would be a pretty good trade. I, I, I think so. Valley, like, yeah. but it's yeah, the best for, trade I've ever heard of anyone getting. Yeah, ever. That is super good. Wow. <laughs> so... How, how do you think sort of Seven Wonders came into being then? What were the influences on the game before it came out? Um, I've actually, uh, I did a, I've had, I've spoken to, to Antoine, as I've interviewed him, and we, we, we've talked a bit about this. He's a really nice guy. And uh, one of the things that, that came out, I think he's mentioned it before, is that actually um, it was, or he acknowledged now as an unconscious influence, that it came from Magic the Gathering, um, okay. which was the only game before Seven Wonders that, was frequently played by drafting. Okay, yeah, um, sure. If you actually look back at the history of Seven Wonders, is we seem to have done this a lot, because we did it with Galaxy Trucker as well. We're picking games that really kind of started sub-genres or started mechanics, and Seven Wonders is another one. Card drafting was not a central or commonly used mechanic in any games, really, until Seven Wonders. And that, I think, is partly why it became so popular. And obviously that means that there aren't going to be a huge number of influences on it because the game is innovative and new. But yeah, he has said uh, in the past that that draft phase of magic or the way you build decks via drafting more accurately was a, a thing he was thinking about when he was creating Seven Wonders. Fascinating. Yeah, there's, there's pretty obviously at least one game before this that used drafting and that was Fairy Tale. Fairy Tale was a little uh, Japanese game that was... that. Got made a you know it, it wasn't a huge hit. It was never bigger than a cult hit. Uh, a little small box game that uh, was picked up by Z-Man Games at some point. Uh, I don't know who did it before that, but uh, that's the only other drafting game I can really think of that might have preceded Seven Wonders. Uh, the main difference being that game you actually played the cards. There was like a card play phase after the draft. Okay. So in that sense, it was a little closer to Magic. It's a it's a pretty nice little game. One thing that uh, you know you you would be remiss in saying that if, if we didn't point out all the many many Civilization games that uh, Seven Wonders is riffing on. Sure. 
there's two that come to mind. Uh, one is uh, Ma- uh, Mari Nostrum, which is by Serge Leger. He sadly passed recently. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, man. That is sad because uh, Mari Nostrum is a pretty interesting game. Yeah. Uh, I really played it a lot for a while. They're both, you know, they're both French designers and would have interacted with each other quite a bit. I'm not saying that, you know, they they were just swimming in the same waters. Now, Mari Nostrum is probably six, seven years before uh, Seven Wonders came out. And in a weird little, the other game, this is a weird little bit of synchronous design. Uh, Seven Wonders came out about the same time as another card-based civilization game, which is Carl Chudik's uh, Innovation. I really want to try that game. I've never played it, but it's on my list of things to try. Yeah, I, I, I really like Innovation, and I'm kind of using this as an opportunity to say it's really worth a try. It is very much the kind of game it is, uh, by which I mean it's it's a game of strong card effects. If you've played other Carl Tudyk games like Glory to Rome, I've got uh, I've got Motenai, and yeah, mo- yeah, I think I, I think Motenai is the same way. Deck, it's just like it does what now? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of that, and you need to be okay with it. That that's an interesting game too that I would actually could probably do a whole episode on because I'm really I find it really impressive, and. This is another little weird. I don't know if this is true at all, but I feel like this game has almost an identical structure to Raw, the Reiner Knizia game, <laughs> which is uh, in, which the only difference is that Raw uses an auction and not uh, not a draft. But the kind of progressive uh, three three handed structure where you you hand out things that score points, you score the points, you do that three times, you get to the end. It's not a particularly you know, it's it's a structure that's been used elsewhere, so it's not that original. But every time I play this game, I think, wow, this sure does remind me of Raw. And maybe that's just because I've just played Raw that much, which I've, I have played it a bunch. I've never played Raw. Have you, Matt? Do you think the Yeah, I love Raw. Reasonable? I love Raw, but I don't agree with that, I must say. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, I do, interesting. I don't see it. No, it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing, that, but the differences are so vast. Hmm. They, yeah, I, I, I don't want to overstate it because the games feel very different, even if it's just between the auction and the draft. Those are two really different mechanics. Like they, they function really differently, but it, I, it's, I more see it in structure. Functions really differently because the scoring in RAR is very different. You know, I know you, you, the overall structure of the game, yeah, there's a vague similarity there, but um, in RAR, you're much more, I mean, you're, there's all the different ways that you can score points by getting certain combos of tiles and sets. And, and in Seven Wonders, that's only really true of the scientific advancements. Everything else is just pretty much straight points. The way interaction and trading work, I mean, there's no trading in RAR. The way interaction works generally in Seven Wonders is very different. So I don't know. I, I just don't see that parallel, but it's a personal thing. If it reminds you of Seven Wonders, then it, uh, of RAR, sorry, then it reminds you of RAR. Um, I want to wind back just a second there to completely go off topic and just mention, talk about Mary Nostrum again, actually, because it's, it seems to be a game that a lot of quite keen gamers have played and nobody else has, or game critics, I should say. I think it's really good. I think it's a great game. Uh, it was republished as, um, or got a new edition, didn't it, as Seven Wonders something from... Mar- Mar- Mari Nostrum in its original form yeah. was kind of meant to be a takeoff. And this is, we're kind of getting in a rabbit trail here, but I'm comfortable in the rabbit trails. Uh, it was meant to be a, a takeoff on the original Civilization, uh, as in the Francis Tresham game. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it it involves trading and it's a quite a streamlined game but also quite an open game and what i found i i like mari nostrum a lot but i had a lot of situations you need to people need to kind of play the game right for the game to work okay which is not i i don't want to come down too hard on it that way but i had a lot of situations where i would teach the game to people and they say well i'm not going to do what you said i'm going to do this and exactly the thing i said would happen happened And that happened several times at that game. So it's a little on the fragile side, but a really fascinating design and a really bold design that I think a lot of gamers didn't really get. It's a it's a really interesting game. Most recent version of Marin Ostrom I can see is a 2016 version called Empires. Yeah, Empires. Empires. It was yeah. many games. Uh, I did a reprint of it because it was out of print for a long time, mm. long, long time. Um, but it's yeah, I think it's really good. Let's let's not um, let's not uh, spend too much time down that rabbit hole.
Let, let's talk a little bit about the impact of Sim Wonders at the time. I, for myself, I remember it being basically everywhere. It was it was like the club or convention game, just because it took so many players, I guess. And it was I think it was seen quite a lot as like a entry point into the sort of hobby game sphere, I guess. I guess because it was a relatively simple game to grok quite easily. You know, you pick a card, you play it. I'm not entirely sure it is actually a good beginner's game, but it seemed like that at the time. That it was like seen as like a good sort of stepping stone into the hobby. What do you think, gents? I think it's a terrible gateway game. <laughs> I, no, genuinely, genuinely. It baffled me when I first learned it, and it baffles me now still to this day. And to my considerable pleasure, uh, when I spoke to Antoine about this, he agreed. <laughs> he doesn't understand um, why people cite it as a gateway game. Because it's not actually that simple. No. Um, you've got these trading rules about borrowing stuff from your your nearest neighbors which are not that straightforward you've got to play it effectively you've got to learn how the different sets of things come together it's got some fairly mathematical aspects to the strategy hmm. and 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 i really i mean i haven't ever tried to teach it as i said i was only taught it played it a couple of times and then came back to it via you know bga to play with you guys so i've never really tried to play it in fairness with somebody who who is not particularly a gamer or predisposed to like games but i wouldn't try there there are so many better games to play with people which are simpler uh, and faster uh, and probably more enjoyable to be honest so i don't never understood that idea is it that it's a good way into hobby games at all yeah, that's a really that's a really good point because there's a lot of abstractions in this game, particularly yeah. with how resources work. And especially if someone's coming at this game and they're a casual gamer, what's the most common game with resources they're likely to have played? Well, that's probably Catan. And Catan has something physical you hold on in your hand that say, oh, I sp and I spend this. But it's more like you have like the I am in the state of producing brick. <laughs> this is kind of the way Seven Wonders works. And if you are in the state of producing brick and you are producing enough of it, then you can build the thing and you're not paying to like, it's just, it's a, that's a big leap. It, it, it makes sense when you're playing it. Like it's not that hard to figure out, but it is a, that's a, a very uh, surprisingly abstract little component in the game. There's a lot, I mean, it's, it's heavily abstracted. That's fine. Yeah. I remember this game, this game was omnipresent for a while. Uh, like it, it took over game nights. And I think a big part is because you could play so many people at once. I don't actually really care for it much with six or seven people. In fact, I would actively say I don't like it with that many people. And I'm better. I, I'm, I like it better with three or four. But it felt like there was no one. You could never just get three or four people to play it. it was, like that was just impossible. And what I found is in, in spite of some of the, the weird vagaries of this game, like uh, the other thing is the scoring for the science buildings, which I've been playing this game off and on for 12 years now i'm still not completely sure how it works <laughs> i if i can be be perfectly vulnerable with you guys of course and yet this was I, I i know people who only buy one game every few years who bought this one and played it regularly people who only bought like Catan, pandemic and ticket to ride and seven wonders for a lot of people it, it achieved that status which is a real like that's a very rarefied status to to get to yeah and so i'm especially when we're talking about some of the little strange challenges in the design that's that's kind of surprising i think it's an interesting thing to remember there is that that, that the population of board game geek is not the board game consuming population in any way or form like the, the stats like when you look at like how many games sell worldwide for like things like monopoly for instance if you want to talk about really big selling games is massively more than the population of BGG. So there's no way the population of BGG, which I think is somewhere in the region of 2 million users, last time I checked, about a couple of years ago, is anywhere near the actual like people who actually consume board games and don't go and post on Twitter or Board Game Geek or can really care that those things exist. They just have their few board games that they play at family Christmases or whatever. So yeah, for a game to get into that kind of that kind of population is fantastic for it. Makes it makes it stay around forever. It had legs too. Like several years later, I would be at someone's house, some people who knew I liked games, but weren't big gamers themselves. And they'd be like, Hey, have you played seven wonders? Do you want to play that? And I'd be like, 
yeah, okay, let's do it. Um, <laughs> I guess. And this is like five or six, it's like five or six years later, yeah. and it still was still was getting action. So that's 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 pretty impressive. I just want to bring up actually that I, I may not be the best judge of some of this stuff. I mean, we're in this niche as you mentioned earlier, Ian, but one thing that often surprises me is uh, the fact that Wingspan has become a huge hit. Now, I really like Wingspan. This is not dissing on Wingspan at all. It's, it's a good, fun, efficiency engine type game with, with some lovely art and pieces on the cards. But the way that it's kind of, I mean, that's sold. I don't know how many Seven Wonders are sold, but I'm going to bet that Wingspan sold more. It's, it's got to be a, it's got to be one of the biggest I think the last stats I saw from Stonemaier was somewhere in the region of 700,000 copies worldwide. That's not oh, like Seven Wonders. For uh, Wingspan. Oh, yeah, no, that's yeah. what I mean. So yeah. I don't know the copy. I don't know the numbers for Seven Wonders. No, I mean... Uh, I think Wingspan sold a lot more than get, Seven getting, Wonders. I mean, I, I, as someone who reports in the industry quite a lot, getting numbers for this kind of stuff is borderline impossible. It's just if the companies, if the companies happen to tell you, great. <laughs> I, I would expect yeah. Wingspan has sold more just because the hobby's much bigger now. Yeah, that's true. Okay. But, I mean, I think it's sold over a million yeah. copies, in fact, Wingspan. I've heard that somewhere. But the point is that Wingspan is a pretty complicated game. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, I thought that as well. It's got all sorts of fiddly scoring rules, especially where you've got the little contests after each round, who comes in first place and second place, and you've got to think, you know, bring in the nest types and the... Um, the, the, all that kind of stuff. And I am really surprised that it has sold and been accepted so widely. It was even yeah. featured in an episode of Coronation Street. Yeah, it was. Wingspan. Oh. Uh, a, a British soap opera. Uh, one of the characters was playing Wingspan. Um, and so it is, has become this kind of wider cultural touchstone. It's one of those rare hobby games like Ticket to Ride that really straddles these two worlds. Um, so, there is something beyond this other than simple abstraction, <laughs> simple mm. abstraction, uh, other than just abstraction and complexity. What makes games digestible to other people? Maybe Seven Wonders has it. Maybe we are not the best judges of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, that's a really good point, Matt. And I will say Seven Wonders is graphically a very intuitive game. It has big, clear, bold colors and iconography that makes a lot of sense. Like you, you look at a military card and it could be nothing else. Yeah. And that's, that's even before you get to the really nice illustrations, which have been there from day one. Uh, the new edition looks basically the same. I think there's, I don't know how much they even really changed in the newest edition. But I think that, I, I, I think a lot of times really small press board games, which is what most of us are playing most of the time, kind of underestimate how important that can be. Agreed. To have, and because so many people are learning, they're not learning games from the rules. They're learning games by looking at them and by doing the thing you told them to do. And Seven Wonders doesn't have many things you have to do. You have to pick a card. There's some prerequisites for how you pick it, but the card gives you a lot of information clearly very well. Um, and I've not actually played Wingspan, but perhaps Wingspan has some of that same quality. Yeah, I mean, I've only played Wingspan a little bit on a digital version that I got sent uh, as against an AI, but I, I was immediately struck by how much interaction there is between cards and combinations and that kind of thing. And, and like yourself, Matt, I was surprised that it, that I'd captured like the non sort of hobby gamer market. Brilliant that it has, but just kind of surprising. So and it's a good game. Yeah. This, is, this is not dissing Wingspan. Play Wingspan. No, yeah, so. I mean, I, I haven't played it enough to even begin to critically comment on Wingspan. Just, just a little bit on the digital version. Well, we're, we're sort of drifting towards our critical sort of impressions of the game. So, so what, what do you th what what do we actually think about Seven Wonders for, for our, our own sort of viewpoint on on the game? What do you think, chaps? I think I have probably the most complex relationship that I have with the board game is what I have with seven wonders. And even, even up to the playing that we did for this, for before recording this episode, I, I, I liked it pretty well when we first played it burned out on it pretty early on, like probably before everyone else had really gotten into it. I had kind of decided like, yeah, I think I'm done with this. And I ended up playing it every now and then after that, kind of as like a more more of as a thing like well i want to play something and this is what everyone else is playing kind of thing and i played it a lot that way for a game i don't i didn't really care for <laughs> i ended up playing it in a whole bunch just because it was what was getting played you know i i i wrote my first ever negative review on board game geek was of seven wonders and i you know and i just i something about it really aggravated me at the time and then 
later on, several years later, I ended up trying out Seven Wonders Duel and really enjoyed it. And I don't know what I think that taught me. And I think we're going to touch on this a little bit because I know Ian has some of the same experiences with Duel. I think Duel has helped me see what I really liked in Seven Wonders and see where some of the gaps are uh, for for me personally. And uh, even as... You know, even as we were playing it this week, I think was thinking to myself, you know, this is this is pretty good. I don't I don't really love it. But it's 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 pretty good. I was I was having fun playing with you guys, you know, uh, maybe it's just because I hadn't played in a long time. I don't know. I, I, I think where I really struggle with it and I think, uh, you know, maybe Ian, could you could touch on some of this. But I think, uh, you know, what what is really giving me trouble with it is just there's this sense of all of the, the way the cards function is that they're just different ways to score points and it never deviates from that. And I, I, I think combined with that, and I don't find the draft itself as interesting maybe as, uh, as it would otherwise. I, I, what, what I think it is, I feel like I'm just doing the same thing every turn. I feel like yeah. I'm taking a card, setting it down and then taking another card, setting it down. It gets points, but it's all very abstracted. It's just kind of this thing that's in the ether and when I get to the end of it, I feel like it doesn't really, I mean, it, it matters what I did. Obviously, my decisions make an, have an impact on the outcome of the game, but there's this sense of, I didn't feel like the decisions were different yeah. at any point. I feel like I'm making one decision over and over and over and over again, and the decision always has the same, t- to me at least, it's, it, it never really deviates from that in a way that I... That, that 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 I just found a little exhausting after playing it a bunch, and yeah. maybe I just maybe it's just a game I need to play in small bursts. I mean, I think I think one of the major issues I think I had with Seven Wonders was that I didn't. It's not a terribly exciting game, and also like because one of the things I really like out of Civ games, and actually a lot of the games I I own, all the games that make their way into my collection, is there's some sort of emergent little story or narrative comes out of the play. And I didn't really feel that with Seven Wonders ever. I feel it a bit more with Jewel. Not a lot, but a bit more with Jewel. But yeah, I, th- I think the Seven Wonders, it doesn't do a good job of like being a Civ game. You got no real sense of like the civilization you're building. You get like Delta Random Wonder and some of those wonders. Uh, that's something I w- I'll touch upon right now, actually. It's like some of those wonders are really interesting. Like, do you like you do like weird powers? And some of them are just points. And it feels really disappointing when you just get like the pyramids, which is just a bunch of points. Even though that's good and points win you the game, it feels more fun to have the ones like the mausoleum that likes to dig cards out of the discard pile and things like that. That's that's just that's just more interesting. But yeah, I think I think it doesn't do a very good job of feeling like a Civ game. Like you don't really feel like you're building a little society or a little thing. Like even something like Villagers or like Civilization New Dawn's in my collection. I really like New Dawn. It was kind of it's kind of skipped over by a lot of people at the time. That's a great game. <clears throat> but I re- it's, it's it's really good. I really liked the level of abstraction that was in it. That I made it feel like the computer game without having the sort of minutiae of like having to like do all the really complicated bits that are obviously behind a lot of the mechanics in the computer game. And yeah, it, it was interesting playing with you guys recently. Actually, playing at a smaller player counts, it definitely felt like a tighter experience. I definitely mm-hmm. played it with larger groups like yourself, Nate, like five, six players. I don't think I ever played it with seven. I don't recall. It's not I, might, I might have done. But I, th- I think that tighter group, like it was just three of us, you get that thing where you feel like your decisions actually impact other people. Like if I draft this card, I can't, I'm not giving it to Nate or I'm not giving it to Matt. And those are the only two people I'm affecting and they're affecting me similarly. And that's great. And I think that's one of the things that I really like about Jewel is that although it's fairly similar and it's kind of the same feel like basically all the cards are just different ways to get points pretty pretty much but every single time i pick a card it forces you down a different path forces your opponent down a different path to pick a certain card and because of the way cards are laid out in duel so if you, if you haven't played duel folks basically you relate rather than having a hand of cards and passing it you've got this sort of little layout of cards in front of you in different patterns and some of those cards are face down and some of them are face up. And each turn you're drafting a card from the setup and are sometimes revealing some of the face down cards. And what it does is it allows you to sort of like push people in different directions sometimes. And you feel it feels like you're having more of an effect on your opponent's choices. Whereas if you're in a five or six player game and you're passing around this hand of cards, who knows what the hand of cards you look that you just passed to Matt looks like four players down the line. 
no idea no idea what i how what effect i've had on that person down there does it matter don't know i think the fact we all started out playing this with large player counts is is part of the problem yeah um, and and possibly playing on the way to funerals as well as i mentioned um, but the uh when you have any drafting game with a large player count the uh the chaos of that drafting robs it of any real sense of strategy it robs it of any real sense of building anything because by the time that draft comes back round to you after seven people have picked cards out of it um, who knows what's going to be in there Whereas at smaller player counts, not only is there more strategy, not only is there more of that feeling that you're talking about, Ian, about uh, that you're forcing people to do certain things. Because certainly when I played with you guys, at one point I can remember picking a card or trashing a card for gold because I thought, ooh, that's going to score a load of points for Nate. I did exactly um, the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you get that better sense of, of building up uh, a civilization as well as, as you go around. But... I originally played it, I felt that chaos, you know, with this large player again. I also was alarmed, this is what I meant at the beginning, the way I won it so easily against people who play it before, because that generally isn't the sign of a game with a lot of staying power, which is why I kind of, you know, drifted away from it. And then, oh, I came here, after discussing it with you guys, we were all kind of saying, oh, we're not huge fans of this game. I kind of think we would come here to bury it, that we were going to come here to slate it. And actually, having played it again, not just with you guys, but I played it a number of times on BGA with other people because I actually quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I remembered enjoying it. Um, sure. And there are a lot of little things about the game um, that I've really kind of come to appreciate. What I, with a smaller draft, another thing you get is a sense of anticipation. Yeah. What's going to be left in there mm-hmm. yep, when yep. it comes back round for me? You know, is, is is that card I really want still going to be there if I take this now? And when you're making choices, you think about that. You think about mm-hmm. um, what cards are likely to be left for me. You know, it, like if because a thing in Seven Wonders we didn't mention the rules run down is that some buildings are prerequisite. So if you have, I, I don't remember the names of the cards, but if you have like a certain card in the first age, then when you come round in the second age another card may you may be able to build that other card for free there's this chain of free building between the ages so if one of those cards is in the draft and you've got the prerequisite you're kind of thinking oh well you know shall i just shall i leave that because i kind of want it because it's free but at the same time no one else is likely to take it because they're going to have to pay for it so you've got this sense of anticipation you've got kind of this this weird the whole thing actually has this kind of weird interactivity about it without any actual interactivity yeah the trading feels tighter as well in the three-player game that's, we had it, exactly it, it, it feels, feels a lot more like yeah. I, I remember distinctly having a lot, a lot of choice of like oh do, do i give matt this money or do i give nate this money and how much money does nate have and how much money does matt have and who really needs it and i remember one point actually giving although nate had a load of money you had no money matt and i was like well i'm gonna leave matt on no money because that's much prettier <laughs> i'll keep I'll give money to nate yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what i mean yeah um, and it's it's uh give it actually having to give gold to your mm. neighbors is actively unpleasant as yeah. well there's, there's kind of a really nasty friction there it feels mm. bad having to do it one way or the other so you kind of want to avoid it and another thing that cropped up in the game which i didn't play with you guys but i thought was really interesting and i've never seen it before in seven wonders is somebody actually starved me of a resource. Wow. So there was a resource I needed for one, of my with me too. Stage of one or two of my wonder stages. I think it was two. I don't remember now. And the players on either side of me deliberately didn't take that card because they didn't need it. So, I mean, you know, it was a small problem for them when they might have had a, a building that needed it as a prerequisite, but it was a massive problem for me because there's no way I could get it. And, and it totally screwed up my game. So, yeah, I, I think... The thing about it being abstract is is fair enough, absolutely. I mean, that's true. We all like thematic games. I, I built a reputation on liking thematic games. But at the same time, using that as a central plank to kind of critique a game, well, that's like 90% of games down the pan um, if you're going to sort of like talk about over-abstraction as being a major flaw. So, you know, I, I actually quite enjoyed Seven Wonders. And... Uh, while I'm still baffled as to why it's seen as a gateway game, I think just as a general kind of let's get together and play a game, let's play a game that everybody knows, that a lot of people are going to have a good time with, that's relatively quick, and one just kind of fits the bill. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, just want a little, I, I think I want a little story out of my Civ games. I want to be able to see a little bit more like of the evolution of the civilization. I want to be able to imagine myself in there. Like I, I, I kind of like game, like 
things like Everdell, things like that really chime with me because I can see the little sort of city like evolving and like, is it a lovely place to be or is it a horrible dystopian hellscape in a in, in a weird way? I, I kind of like that emergent narrative coming out of things. I, I just yeah. don't quite get that from Seven Wonders. No, it's not there. I'm, I'm not arguing with that at all. All I'm saying is there are a lot of games you can you can mm. push that critique onto. Is all. Oh I'm yeah, saying. for sure. It's for absolutely sure. fair. No, there's no theme here. There's no narrative. Yeah, the thing about abstraction is that it's often a really bold choice. Mm. And in fact, I'm always I'm always very impressed when people can take an established genre like a Civ game and and really strip back the layers and see how far how much can we pull back and still have the same thing i think you talked about civilization you you talked about civilization a new dawn i i I think i think that game's kind of brilliant and it doesn't and it's not um and I say that as someone, I like long Civ games. I like through the, through the ages. I liked Clash of Cultures pretty well, you know. But there's something about that game that's like, I'm really impressed that it's getting the arc of this without being tedious, without bogging down, and without, you know, it, it, it knows what it wants to do. It knows its level of abstraction. I think the same is true of actually of uh, innovation as well. Um, that game the way that game abstracts it is it just it makes the game entirely about technology and ideas and how those change the course and i think when you talk about games with really strong card effects that makes a lot of sense because what has driven human history like ideas and huge uh you know card effects one of the strongest cards in uh in uh innovation is the agriculture card (laughs) you know that's and that's that's a really cool, bold thing. And so I, I want to applaud, even though I, I don't love this game, I, I certainly respect it. And I really think I can applaud Bowser for really doing what's kind of, it's really kind of bold to take an, to take an established genre and, and see how far back you can peel the layers. Yeah. For, for my money, it's a little too far. Uh, and I say that only because I, I think it actually removes some tension from the game. You know, Matt, we were kind of discussing a little bit before the the thing when we were go- looking at the Google Doc, and you were asking a lot of the complaints I have are are present in Duel, which is pretty fair. But there's two things. One is that draft that Ian talked about that it, it creates a lot of ambiguity in what the cards are out there because you still remove a few cards before the draft. But there's enormous amount of tension. Okay, I want to take this card, but if I do, I'm going to be revealing two others that I don't know what they are. And if they're ones that really help my opponent, I'm I'm basically serving it up to them. And so you end up drafting in such a way that I think is a little more tactical, and it and it helps that it's visual for me. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't grow up playing Magic the Gathering. I've only played it a little bit in adulthood, and so I I think I'd actually played Seven Wonders before I'd ever played Magic. <laughs> so. You know, the drafting doesn't kind of trigger something for me. The other thing about Duel is that the way that science and military works is much more interesting to me because you can lose the game through military or through science. It's possible to have a science victory or a military victory. Mm. And it's not it's not done with a great deal more rules weight, but it's done in a way that feels much more visceral and is much more tense and uh and makes it feel very civilization especially the sid meyer's civilization where there's different victory conditions and different victory types um but what i like about seven wonders just plain old version is i i do like what you talked about the chaining i think that's really cool i like the way the i I think the abstraction of the resources is actually pretty brilliant uh i i think that works really well and i think that's really compelling too i think comparing it with dune is really interesting which is which is why I started that conversation. I For hadn't sure. played Duel until we came to do this podcast, uh, and again, it's available on BGA. So I thought that I'd figure I'd play it. And then a friend of mine actually had played it a lot on BGA, um, and he'd really said he was he really liked it. So I figured he was a good man to play a few matches against. So he did. And I don't entirely buy this idea that the the flipping of cards is that much different from the draft. I, I actually think it's a very admirable way of of mimicking a draft. Because you've got that same sense of, well, we're not quite sure what's coming up because some of those cards are face down. And the way you open up those chains of decisions, like you're saying, where you flip a card and you make more available, kind of mimics that thing I was talking about where, well, do I take this now or do I take, do I risk leaving it there for somebody else? It, it feels very draft-like without actually being a draft. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure that that is actually the reason why seven wonders do do better. Because I agree, it's better. I'm, I'm not disputing that at all. I think you hit the nail on the head with the other point there that it's that it's particularly the scientific aspect that makes it more interesting. Military, well, fair enough. That the military bit of seven wonders is kind of fun because it's quite nice. Take you you're kind of taking points off your neighbours. It's really decisive, um, but there's a certain Schadenfreudic pleasure there to doing it. And the military bit, or well, it's, it's similar in Seven Wonders Duel because when you get military advantage, yeah, it can win you the game, but that's rare. Yeah. More often, you steal gold from your your opponent, which is which has got that same that same bite, which is nice. But I think it's the science that really makes the difference because rather than just collecting sets to, to win a few points, which is kind of like a complaint you guys were making about Seven Wonders, it all just comes down to the points. Um, when you do it in Seven Wonders, getting sets of science symbols allows you to pick. For, I can't remember what they call those tokens. But they have some progress tokens. Progress tokens, that's right. Those have some fairly major impacts um, on how you develop the second half of the game. And they're a really cool idea, I think. And I think it's those alone for me, really, that that elevate Seven Wonders Duel above Seven Wonders. Uh, I mean, the the fact is Titan, we've talked about smaller player counts being being better, and you can uh, minimum of three for Seven Wonders. Proper, um, but the science I think is uh, that's really nice in Seven Wonders Deal. That's what makes it for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I'd like to touch on with with this Seven Wonders, and you guys, Ian might have more to say than I do because I think he's played a little more than I have. Uh, what what's been you guys' experience with the expansions for Seven Wonders? Because I had the impression that most people I know didn't really like them, and there were a lot of them. But it's, and it's a weird game where usually a game comes out and it gets expansions and most people will agree, well, there's one or two that are really great. But I don't think there's any with Seven Wonders that I know people who regularly play with them. Like there's a lot of expansions and a lot of people are like, no, nah, we never use them. Yeah, I'm afraid I've got no experience of them at all. I, I, I move my okay. Seven Wonders on fairly quickly. I do, I've, got, like, I've got the Pantheon expansion for Jewel, but mm-hmm. I haven't played with it yet. Uh, my yeah. understanding is that both the expansions for Jewel do make the game longer, which I might not be a fan of, but who knows? Yeah, well, the, I, I guess because I'm, I'm interested. I don't know, Matt. Do you have any? Do you have anything to add to that? Do you know? I don't. Anything? I've never played them either. As I say, somebody who's just who played this when it came out and has only again played it recently, I have never played with the expansions. One thing that does strike me, though, just as a a sheerly an off-the-cuff observation from from no practical experience is that a game like Seven Wonders, we touched very briefly on the fact that knowing what's in the deck uh, and what might come up is is a key part of your strategy, a key part of the way you approach the game. The more expansion stuff you throw in there, the more that goes out the window. Um, well, and I think the yeah the the expansions also they don't add to the card count. They add a new subsystem. So the cities expansion, you're now building cities as well as doing the draft. But those don't add new cards to the draft. So you're never um, you're never adding to the core gameplay of what the original game was. And I while I like the expansions in Duel, I have both of them, Pantheon and Agora. And I like them. And my son, who's now 12, almost 13, really likes playing with both. And it's not that much longer, but it is definitely more complex because there's a lot more wheels that are turning each other. Sure. And it's uh, it's fun. I like it. But also there's a very good a very good argument to be made that you definitely don't need them. <laughs> and I think that my, my read on the ones for the original game are, are similar. Like it bolts on subsystems that are working kind of in parallel, but they're not really integrated into the core loop of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about like them. I don't know if they're, I mean, they're obviously popular enough to they could produce like four expansions on the trot pretty much for the original. So they're obviously popular enough to keep doing it, but yeah. I don't, Remember, like, even even when looking up for this cast, I don't remember seeing a lot of recommendations of like, or oh, you mu- you know that thing where you got oh you must play with this expansion because it just makes the game better. There was very little of that. It's just like yeah, we play Seven Wonders. There's there's little yeah. of that. Like you you have to have Babel or you have to have this or you have to have leaders or I think I played with leaders once maybe. I can't remember. It's been a long time, so yeah, I'm not. I don't fully remember. I'm afraid. <laughs> So obviously like it was the drafting game at the time when it came out in 20 uh, in 2010 how, how do you think any of that influence has passed through to the current era of board games do we see lots of drafting games around still is it still thing I mean obviously it's got a new edition released in 2020 but has there been any other drafting games that have like surpassed it that are better than it you would recommend over that 
the first thing that came to my mind was Sushi Go. <laughs> yeah, likewise. I yeah. Did, or Sushi Go, I sushi go Party, sushi. actually, I think is probably my recommendation. So why do you think, I presume you do, based on what you said about Seven Wonders, why do you think Sushi Go is a better game than Seven Wonders? I think it's shorter for one. Like I think it doesn't. Uh, Sam wonders a little for me a little bit outlives. I think one of the greatest sins a game can do for me is outlive its welcome. I, I don't mind a game being short so I can play it again. That's fine. But when a game's when I get to a point in a game where I'm just like, can this end now? That that's pro- that's problematic for me personally and as a critic. It's just like this is obviously not being thought about. And I think Sushi Goes feels a bit short. It's incredible. Sushi Goes incredibly charming as well. Like it's got a really charming little art style, and although it is abstract, it's completely abstracted. I mean, it's probably even more abstracted than Seven Wonders. Yeah, like it, it, Sushi then, Go has nothing has nothing has as to much do to do with sushi or go as, or parties. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> right? Nothing, none of those three things. But I, I, I th- just it's just a really charming little thing, and I think it's a smaller box. It's it's kind of cheaper as well, if I remember rightly as well. So I think, I think it hits a lot of spots on me for like, if, if someone's looking for that kind of game for me, recommending it over something like seven wonders, which is more complex, but more expensive, bigger in terms of actually physically storing it in your house. Uh, it's, it's just a charming, charming wee thing. I, I, I totally agree with you, Matt, from a critical perspective. It's like, it's almost the same thing. But for some reason, yeah. it's this, just the first thing exactly that pops it. in my head. Because this is this is what led to my critical reappraisal of, yeah, of Seven Wonders. Sure. Because I made this exact comparison. This is really quite like Sushi Go. Hang on, I quite liked Sushi Go. Why did I not like this when I first played it? Yeah. And the more I thought about it, um, the more I thought this is better than Sushi Go for me. Seven Wonders, and um, because I, of all the things I've already mentioned, because I've got, it's got that little bit of interaction with your neighbours, which you just don't have in Sushi Go at all. You're totally concentrating on your own to blow, and it's got that little bit, tiny little bit of theme. Which Sushi Go again doesn't have at all. It's 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 totally abstract. Yeah, okay, Sushi Go is cute, and it comes in tin. Hey, the party version does anyway. Um, but uh, Seven Wonders is a good looking game, as you mentioned, Nate. So I don't really see that I can kind of crap on this on Seven Wonders from the great height when it's actually better. Than a game that I've played quite extensively and had a good time with. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I, I I was thinking the same thing because I have Sushi Go. I don't have I've never owned Seven Wonders, but I have Sushi Go and my kids really like it. And I I'm I'm pretty mildly on the side of liking it. And I was thinking like and I, I had the exact thing of like, well, why do I like this and not Seven Wonders? And I just don't have a good answer. And I, I think I actually think what it is is because I'm usually playing Sushi Go with three or four people. And I've just played too many games of Seven Wonders with seven, six and seven people. And the game, you know, Seven Wonders just does itself no favors by accommodating so many people. Yeah. Um, it just, it's not like, may, maybe it is for, for more, you know, I'm a much more hardcore gamer than most of the people who bought Seven Wonders, truthfully. I'm not, and I'm not that hardcore, but... You know, like I'm 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 used to very complex games with a lot of stuff and I expect a certain level of this, you know, whatever. But whatever big hogwash thing I can put in there. But I think in the end is I've just played Sushi Go more with smaller groups. Yeah. Um, And where and where Seven Wonders, if I owned Seven Wonders and I was playing with three or four people all the time, I would probably have a much nicer view of it. And 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 this is this has caused me to think more about that. I think we've kind of stumbled into an interesting little little cul-de-sac here, which is we're looking about how games are enjoyed based on their target audience, almost. Because I play mm-hmm. Sushi Go with my kids. You know, I play, I've had a good time yeah. playing with my family. And I don't think I would take it to a gaming club, particularly. No. But I wouldn't play Seven Wonders with my family. Maybe people have. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they've tried to do it too often. But I think it's it, it's it's a kind of if you there aren't that many good family games that that hobby gamers are also going to have a good time with, and Sushi Go is one of them. Whereas if you are playing with a group of gamers, there are a lot of kind of forty-five minute card games, interactive, semi-interactive card games that you could play instead of Seven Wonders, and that's yeah. maybe kind of the problem with it. Is that it's it just fits into a it, it's the wrong game for the wrong audience almost. Yeah, that's really possible. Um, Ian, you were talking, you were asking about games that have utilized drafting. And there's a lot of games that use it as like an advanced form. One example would be uh, is it Blood Rage? 
drafting is a pretty big part of Blood Rage, which is actually not something I've actually played, but I know that drafting comes into that game, especially if you're playing the full version. You are drafting cards. Uh, and I think that's really where Seven Wonders may, maybe made drafting a board game mechanic. Yeah. More than, more than a thing you just do with, with CCGs, uh, which is, that's probably its most lasting impact, aside from just being a very successful game in its own right. There's an interesting thing there where sometimes, like for instance, I'm not a big fan of pure traitor games, like Werewolf and things like that, like pure social deduction games. When those mechanics are, put, when those mechanisms are put into board games, like for instance, Tortuga would be a, a, a good example. I really, really like it. But I, I, there's sometimes when games are just like, they're just like the pure example of that mechanism. Like something like Dominion, for instance. I prefer it in like a game that's a little bit more, just a little bit more to it. They're not just the pure example of that, of that particular mechanism. I, I, know that's, I know that's true for other people as well. Is that is that that like where you get those games that are just a pure example of the thing? Like Seven Wonders is is the best example I can think of drafting, and certainly a very very influential one. Like, uh, but yeah, like you say, Nate, it's mostly be, its influence has mostly been like drafting has come into games. Like, I think I'm sure drafting was in Mage Knight that we talked about in the last episode <laughs> because it was just because what mechanism was it? Everything was in Mage Knight. Everything yeah. was in Mage Knight. I'm pretty sure drafting was in there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I really like the game I play most of that involves drafting is Res Arcana. Um, oh, right, yeah. I, I haven't played, I haven't played much Res Arcana, but I, re- I would love to play more. I've played a little yeah, bit of it. It's really good. Yeah. But as you say, Nate, it's kind of interesting how it goes in there as like an advanced mode. And I mm. think it's used used quite a lot as kind of an advanced mode in, in semi or card driven games uh, to, to make it more interesting going down the line but uh, it is Seven Wonders that kind of that kind of brought it to prominence Fairytale may have beaten it historically but Seven Wonders is the, the thing that put it on the, the map of hobby games you know what Matt when you talk about talk about that how you really put it in hobby games in, in that sense you can put it alongside some extremely influential games that really crossed the streams of different times different types of tabletop games that really hadn't crossed before uh stuff like dominion is a really good example and if you want to go really far back stuff like dungeon quest and talisman uh did that as well which are you know which really brought role playing into a board game kind of setting or dungeon if you're getting really old and that's that's a pretty it, it takes a it takes some vision to do that yeah. i think bowser needs to be should be applauded for that for saying like there's no reason this thing that I do has to stay has to stay in this lane. It like it, it could be over here and it would be something really, really cool over here. And hey, he was right. He he stumbled on something that had a really big impact. One game I thought of that I know I, I think Seven Wonders definitely walked so this game could run is Millennium Blades. Uh which is a massive game that's sort of about the metagame of CCGs. <laughs> I, 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 I have a copy that I have not cracked yet. Basically, I've got one stick in my hand. Yeah. We discussed this in the last in the last episode. Yeah, we did. I didn't think we did. You took, you guys have actually played it. I thought you said neither of you played it. I, I played I it once. I've it's been a, a while. Copy, but yeah, Alien Blade is a great game. I, I shifted my copy in the end because I just it wasn't seeing any table time. But it's it's, it's a it, huge game. It is a huge game, and I love. I absolutely love. I was thinking about it because we were we when we talked about. Co- uh, let me start again. I was thinking about it after we recorded our last episode. I really love it's the only game I've ever seen that has bundles of money. Literally hilarious. Absolutely money. hilarious. It's fantastic. <laughs> There's so much fun to play with. Slapping them down, riffing them. You make yeah. you feel like you're a millionaire. Yeah. I, I, I've got, I, I picked up a copy secondhand recently. I still to get it to the table, but it, it def, I, yeah. It's just, I, I read the real book. I was like, I'm sorry, what? What now? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> okay. What? Yeah. I think I, I think when you look at Millennium Blades, it just it just like Seven Wonders is has has part of, has a hand in that. I I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, it, there's there's a couple of interesting sort of like critical observations here. Like we've we've all we've all talked about like how our initial sort of impressions Seven Wonders weren't great, but we've revisited it and sometimes revisited it through different drafting games. I think there's an important critical lesson there, which is just because you don't like a mechanism at, in one game doesn't mean you won't like it in another and that you should push yourself as if you're going to be a critic or if you're going to look at games critically even if you're not going to write about them if you just want to think about games critically you should push yourself outside your comfort zone every now and again 
and there's something else that's not called. <laughs> yeah, right. It's also important to to realize that you, that you change. You know, yeah, you absolutely. you aren't stand you aren't standing in one place. Yeah. Um, I've been reviewing games actively. Well, I did it actively for about seven or eight years, and I've been playing them now for like you know fifteen or fifteen or sixteen years. And I've seen a lot, and I th- I, I've changed my mind on a lot of games that I really didn't like. And apparently, I'm listening to this in real time, and apparently I've done that with Seven Wonders now, too. <laughs> Not, like, full on, but I've I've softened on it some just between doing this podcast and preparing for this. And that's, that's, that's kind of a treat, you know? I mean, it's a... I don't I don't like not liking a game. I, I want to like the game I'm playing, and I, I think it's nice to... To feel like, oh yeah, I, I I see the quality there. Yeah. Oh, the other critical observation I was thinking of, it just came back to me, was like, you don't need to personally like a game as a critic in order to note note that it's influential. Like Seven Wonders Absolutely. is undoubtedly yeah. influential. No oh. argument there at all. You cannot like it, but you could you have to acknowledge how influential game X or Y is, even if you don't oh, personally yeah. enjoy it's- playing them. Lots of games. That's something I think about a lot when I'm writing reviews. It's just, it just, I have to make clear when I don't like a game, and I'm not shy about saying no. I don't like a game, but at the same time, you have to think, you know, you have to make clear in your review who you think it is suitable for, unless it's just across the pan bad, which, which is rare. There's not that many games that, that, that are just absolute stinkers from start to finish. Um, and what you're saying is part, part of that, you know, you've got to look at games in terms of their, their wider appeal, their wider influence, um, and and their kind of like place in the history of game, the historical march of gaming. Indeed. Well, gents, uh, we're coming to the end of our hour. So, so in in a modern era, would you still recommend Seven Wonders? It's, there's a new edition out there. It's readily available in shops. Would you recommend it to folk who are walking into their local friendly game store? I would say yes and no. Uh, as the person that I think likes it the best. Well, it has, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I've, I can only really repeat what I said earlier, which is that, yeah, this is a fun game and I enjoyed playing it. But if you're in the market, unless you want something that's specifically about drafting, then if you're in the market for kind of like a, a medium weight, low time, portable card game, there are better examples, I'm afraid, unless you particularly want to do that drafting because it's novel for you, because it's meaningful for you, or you just appeals to you for some reason. And so it's good fun, but I don't think I would absolutely recommend it. It's in a kind of a pretty crowded niche. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you there, Matt. There's, there's loads of really good small box card games out there. I'm, I talk about those kind of things a lot. If you're actually after a Civ sort of like game in a card game and you can still find it, I'm not sure how readily available it is. Carta Imperia Victoria is great. I really, really like that. It's one of those games that's kind of sort of been sort of forgotten a little bit, but I really like it. I still, I still have a copy. It's fantastic. And if you're after an abstracted sort of Civ game that does it really well, then Civilization New Dawn that we've mentioned a few times is, it's a fantasy flight game and it's fantastic. It's really good. And that action bar thing that's in that game is used in Ark yeah. Nova, which was the, you know, darling du jour for the last couple of years. That that focus bar mechanic is just superb. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant yeah. game. I would I would recommend Seven Wonders if you are someone who's needs a break from your magic the gathering group and i know the magic the gathering hobby is is kind of is kind of like the you know it's like walking into the room that's on fire these days uh and uh at the time i'm talking about this which is early 2023 and i and i but i know that you know if you're some sort of controversy in the world of wizards recently i'm not sure i know yeah wizards of the coast yeah who knew i i i think that it's really good if you want if you want a game that has a CCG kind of quality to it, but is not going to set you back a ton of money to keep on buying cards for it, because you can do drafts with like, say fantasy flights, living card games. I know people who did that with say Netrunner or uh, some of the competitive ones, you know, uh, these days, the most famous of those are all cooperative. So it's not really the same thing. Uh, just just a quick netrunner aside there if uh, you do want to get into that particular game then there is a fan made project currently called null signal it used to be called project nisei but they're producing some really good stuff so the card game store still exists out there and well i product for it there, there you go but it will probably cost you more than a box of seven wonders yes um and you'll you'll be able to play it with more than two people 
But if you go into it thinking, oh, this is going to fill, I mean, to me, a game that plays seven people, it ought to be a pretty raucous, fun game once you get seven people. And this is not that game. It's much more (laughs) staid. You're only really playing with the people to either side of you. Uh, With three or four, maybe five, that's not so bad. With six or seven, it's not great. But if you like drafting, and there's a lot of people who just really get a charge out of that, this is a, it's a good choice for you. I mean, if you want a raucous, fun, large number party game, then listen into our next episode where we'll be talking about Cosmic Encounter, which is just that in a lot of ways. And maybe not. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, folks. We'll see you next time on Cult the Old. Bye for now. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Editing for the cast was done by me, Ian McAllister. The music for the cast was provided by my brother-in-law, David Oliver, with my friend, Alistair McLeod. Our logo was created by Rachel Wines Thrower. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is by telling your friends about us and leave us a review and rating on your podcast host of choice. You'll also find the cast on thecultoftheold.com, where you can find writing about older games. You can follow the hosts on Twitter. I'm at the Giant Brain. Matt is at Mattthra, that's M-A-T-T-T-H-R. Nate is at Sanildefanso, that's S-A-N-I-L-D-E-F-A-N-S-O. You can come and chat to the team and fellow game enthusiasts on our Discord, and there will be an invite to that in the show notes. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so through our Ko-Fi, and I'll put a link to that as well. You can send the cast an email about any of the games we've covered, should cover, or anything else really, at cultoftheolduk at gmail.com. Bye for now. <laughs>